Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues his series in the Gospel of Matthew with his sermon entitled, Jesus on Divorce, preached on November 5th, 1995. Now, if you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 19. Jesus on Divorce. Now, all of a sudden, you may think, I'm married, so I don't have to worry about divorce. Or I'm a single person, so I don't have to worry about divorce. Or I'm a child, so I don't have to worry about divorce. But I tell you that this is in the Word of God, and it is for each one of us. It is relevant for us that the married people may hear this instruction and that they may live in accordance with it. The single people may know what marriage is all about so that they can pray that God may enable them to marry and live in accordance with his word. So it is relevant for all peoples who are assembled together here. In this portion of scripture, we see Jesus leaving Galilee for the last time, leaving to Jerusalem for the announced purpose of his rejection and death, death in Jerusalem, that he may redeem his people. He will return to Galilee only after his resurrection. He, along with a crowd, is now beyond Jordan, And he taught them and he healed them. And we also notice the Pharisees coming to him. Of course, Pharisees have no intention of being instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ because they would not believe him to be the Messiah. So they are there to test him, to trap him, to do the work of the devil which we have learned that they were doing for a long time. So the first thing we notice is the question of the Pharisees. Question regarding divorce. Of course, these Pharisees were living a life of divorce. Josephus, he was a divorcee. That Jewish historian said that A man can divorce his wife for any and every reason. Of course, then, Pharisees are asking this question not to be instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ, but to trap him. The time of Jesus was like our own time with reference to marriage and divorce. People practiced easy divorce. Because of their lust, the reason for divorce is lust. Now, if you study the Greek culture of that time, relationship outside marriage by a married man was no shame at all. Such relationship by husbands were accepted as normal in Greek society. You probably heard the statement of Demosthenes. 
We have prostitutes for the sake of pleasure. Concubines for daily cohabitation. And wives for having legitimate children. The Greek husbands required their wives to be living in seclusion. With complete moral purity. The husbands were expected to live in total immorality. The temple of Aphrodite in Corinth had 1,000 sacred prostitutes who serviced the Greek males. Roman society had a strong family culture until Rome conquered Greece militarily. Since then, Greece conquered Rome with its immorality. And Romans began to practice the immorality of divorce, easy divorce, to the destruction of Roman families. In Jewish culture, as I already said, during the time of Jesus, divorce was as common as marriage. There were two schools of thought. Always there are two schools. One, of course, was a small group of people, conservative, Rabbi Shammai. He interpreted Deuteronomy chapter 24, 1 through 4, which we will read later on, and taught that a husband should divorce his wife only for the reason of adultery. But there was a liberal school, which was the predominant one, Rabbi Hillel. And he taught a husband may divorce his wife for any and every reason. And that is exactly the question the Pharisees are now asking Jesus. So Hillel taught that you could divorce your wife for any and every reason, such as the food is too salty, that your wife is seen in public with uncovered head, that your wife talked with men in the streets, that your wife is a brawling woman, that your wife spoke disrespectfully about your in-laws in the presence of the husband, that your wife is troublesome, that your wife is quarrelsome, and then there was Rabbi Joshua ben Sira and others like Rabbi Akiba. Especially Rabbi Akiba said, you know, you could divorce your wife if you find somebody else prettier. If you have a roving eye, then that could be used as a reason to divorce. So the school of Hillel became predominant. Of course, in Jewish culture, only men could divorce. Women did not have much rights. And men were putting away women for any and every reason because of their lusts. And Jesus deals with this issue in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. Family was collapsing. So this question of divorce was a practical one. 
Yet the Pharisees asked the question to Jesus to see with what school he would agree so that the other school will be his enemy. The Pharisees were trying to stir up some trouble, but Jesus did not avoid the question as a pastor, he answered the question from the scripture with such great wisdom. And so let's look at the answer. First of all, he speaks about the biblical ignorance of these scholars. And this is amazing. You can read the Mishnah and the Halakha and the Talmud. It is just like reading mountains of liberal Christian commentaries. Complete nonsense. They were posing themselves to be interpreters of the Bible. When in fact, they were in the wrong every time. So Jesus asked the question, have you not read? The problem with the unbelieving liberals, the Pharisees and Sadducees was that they were ignorant of the scriptures. They pretended to be wise. And great scholars. But the fact was they did not study the scriptures. They did not know the scriptures. They were commenting in these mountains of writings. Not about the scripture but about the opinions of other people. So we read in 22nd chapter of Matthew verse 29. Jesus says this. You are in error. Because you do not know the scripture, nor the power of God. That was the problem then, and that is the problem today. And even among evangelicals, there is such an antipathy towards scripture. People hate to read the scripture and accept its definitive teaching. So in verse 4, the question is asked, Haven't you read... Have you not read? He replied. Meaning, have you not read the scripture? Specifically, he's speaking about, have you not read the book of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2? This is the problem. People do not want to read the principles given to us in the word of God governing every aspect of our life. We would rather go to the psychologist and psychiatrist and everybody else but to the Holy Scriptures to hear what God has to say. And let me tell you, there is only one book that is absolutely true and that is the Bible, the Old and New Testament given by the inspiration of God. It alone is infallible and absolutely trustworthy. The focus of the Pharisees was on divorce. Oh, they said, let us count the ways of divorcing. How many are there? This is a twisted thinking. Jesus says your problem is that you don't read the Bible correctly. And when you read it, you misinterpret it every time. But he says Shammai is wrong. And your rabbi Hillel is wrong. You all are wrong. Because these rabbis did not go all the way to Genesis 1 and 2 to discover God's principle that governs. 
not divorce, but marriage. Jesus is not focusing on divorce as the Pharisees were. Jesus focuses on marriage. See, there was a rule the rabbis practiced according to rabbinic exegesis. Earlier is weightier. Jesus understood that. And so he goes straight to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And not Deuteronomy chapter 24. This means the passage Jesus cited from Genesis 1 and 2 is of greater authority than any later passage. So Jesus focuses on marriage. The question is, what was true in the beginning? Before sin ever entered the cosmos. Let's look at the constitution of man. God designed man and created man as male and female. God made one male. And then God made one female from Adam and for Adam. The original constitution of the race as male and female, Jesus says, is the basis of marriage. Not that originally Jesus made many males that would produce homosexuality. Not that he made many females that will produce lesbianism. Not many males and many females. That will produce polygamy and bisexuality. But one male and one female for lifelong monogamous marriage. That's God's creation ordinance. That your spouse is your companion. Male is not complete. Female is not complete. Male needs a female. Female needs a male. It is not good for man to be alone. Man needs a companion who completes him. And woman needs a companion who completes her. Man needed a companion to eliminate his loneliness. Due to incompleteness. Due to the design of God. A husband is a companion. A wife is a companion. And the word companion in Proverbs 2 and Malachi 2, when you study the root Hebrew words for the word companion, you get two understanding. One is closeness. The other is union. Union. So, a companion, according to Proverbs Two and Malachi 2 is one who is close and one who is united to another. A companion is one who is closely united with you in thought, in goals, in plans, in efforts, and if married, in bodies. Thus, marriage removes loneliness. Through the love of companion spouse. So, for the reason of the peculiar constitution 
of man and woman as male and female, the man is to leave the temporary relationship between himself and parents. You see, parents-children relationship is what? Temporary. Not permanent. Now let me say this. In some cultures, that is more important than marriage. Especially in some Eastern cultures, this is true. But that is not biblical. You are to leave the temporary relationship with your parents. And then you are to be glued. Proscolabo. Glued, that's the word that is used. To your companion, your wife. To become one flesh for life. That is the permanent relationship. Husband-wife is permanent relationship. Parents-children, temporary relationship. God is the God of this marriage union. Not only of Adam and Eve, but of every heterosexual marriage. It is God who makes that union. What God has joined together. Let no man put asunder. God is not a God of divorce. It doesn't even enter in the creation ordinance. He is the God of marriage. He makes out of two, one being. Never to be separated. There is no provision for divorce in Genesis 1 and 2. In fact, if any man or woman separates the union God has created in marriage, he or she is an enemy of God for practicing rebellion against him by dismantling the unity of one flesh which he has established. And marriage, of course, is also a covenant, we are told. Yes, it is a companionship, but it is a companionship based on a covenant. A man and woman agrees to live all their lives to be a companion to the other through self-sacrificing love. To forsake the companion is to forget the covenant of God. And to do this is to incur divine judgment. So the answer of Jesus is that he denies that God's original law provided for divorce. But the Pharisees wouldn't go back to Genesis 1 and 2 because they are lustful. They want to practice their lust. And we all do this. We don't want to go to certain scriptures. (laughs) Isn't that true? We are are also very selective in our reading of the Bible. And the Pharisees were also very selective. God is for lifetime monogamous marriage. God opposes divorce. Divorce is sin. It is self-centeredness. It is the opposite of love. It is against the will of God. Well, that shut them up. They were thoroughly convinced about it. But you see, they have another question. And it is a legitimate one. And so, look at verse 7. 
Why then, they asked, did Moses command? Notice, you see, they are twisted. The verse is right, but their interpretation is wrong. Moses did not command. But they thought he commanded. It's amazing. When you want to sin, you begin to change scripture and misinterpret scripture. That a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. You see, these people thought, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, which we will read now. You see, if you want to divorce your wife, make sure you give her a paper. A piece of paper. Before two witnesses. One sentence, that's all. I divorce you and you are free to marry whomever you will. You hear that paper? Before two witnesses, everything will be all right. This is what they thought. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 said. Let's read it. Of course, there are many translations. They didn't translate correctly. But here in the New International Version, it is translated properly. The first three verses are conditional. And the command comes in the fourth verse. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds erwat davar, we don't know what that is, something indecent, nobody knows. In Hebrew it means nakedness of thing, we have no idea what it is. It is indefinite, it cannot be adultery because for adultery there was capital punishment. It was not even suspicion of adultery because for that there was a bitter water right in Numbers chapter 5. So it has to be something else and we don't know what it is. And so Hillel said for anything, for any reason. He finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, all that is conditional. And now comes the command. What is it? Then, this is the command, then. Her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. All right? They thought that this passage commanded people to put away their wives for any and every reason. But make sure, give her a paper. But in fact, this passage teaches the exact opposite. What this passage is saying You better think, man. You better think carefully. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11, the same law. That if you divorce your wife and she marries another, she commits adultery. That God intended oneness is destroyed by that. That's what defilement is all about. And you cannot take her back again. So be careful in what you are doing. Not just paper. But you are also causing that person to commit adultery. And if you marry somebody, you are committing adultery. Which is violation of the seventh commandment. So this is not a permission to give a little paper and divorce your wife for any and every reason. There is no command here. And yet, look at the Pharisees who said, 
in verse 7, did Moses command? No, look at the answer now of Jesus. The passage recognizes the evil of divorce during the time of Moses. That was in existence due to people's hardness of heart. So it is at best regulating the evil of divorce. It is a concession, not a command. And in fact, if you study carefully, it is a scripture that ought to lead you not to divorce, but to marriage. Passage does not define the ground for divorce. It is called something indecent. Nakedness of a thing. We don't know what it is. It cannot be adultery. It cannot be even suspicion of adultery. So, by the New Testament times, the rabbis interpreted it to mean, Shammai said, adultery. Hillel said, anything. So it became any reason which husband finds indecent and repulsive in his eyes. <laughs> the guy comes home and you don't look all that beautiful anymore. Why? You are the same person, doing the same thing. But how come? All of a sudden, you are repulsive. <laughs> well, we know why. Isn't that true? Something happened. That's why. What it commands in 24th chapter, verse 4, is if you divorce and the woman marries another, and if he divorces her or dies, then the first husband cannot marry her, for she is defiled, meaning such marriage is Adultery, it breaks the unity, the oneness God established in the original marriage. In other words, the divorced woman's second marriage is seen as adultery by God because that violated the one flesh principle of the first marriage which we found in the creation ordinance. So the idea here is think carefully, man, before you act in this sinful manner. Before you divorce, you better watch out because your God is against you. Because you put away what he put together. You dismantled what God has done. And you are an enemy of God and God is an enemy of you. In truth then, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 discourages divorce. It did not command divorce. At best, it regulated the evil of divorce. But the Pharisees misinterpreted it and seen as Moses commanding divorce for any reason. But make sure what? You give her a paper. The regulation Moses gave did not command you to put away your wives. It did not abrogate the original creation ordinance governing marriage in Genesis 1.27 and 2.24. This regulation was due to sinful lifestyle of people. But in the beginning when there was no sin, there was only marriage and no divorce. Divorce is always stemming from sin. I would recommend you to read a little book. If you can't get hold of it, my own professor, J. Adams, wrote a book, Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage, published by Presbyterian and Reformed. Now Jesus gives his definitive ruling 
And you see that in the Sermon on the Mount. There are six times this idea comes there. You have heard it said. Meaning the misinterpretation of the Pharisees. That's what it means. Not that it is written. When he says it is written, he is speaking about the scripture. When he says you have heard it said, means what? The stupidity of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Who misinterpreted scripture. And then he says, Ego de lego, who mean, but I say to you. So now, he gives his definitive statement. Look at verse 9. I tell you, the eternal God, the exegete, the lawgiver, the explicator of God's word. But I tell you, this is the command of God. This is Christ's ruling, governing marriage. You and I better listen to this. And what is he saying? I tell you. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another is committing adultery. And in Mark 10, the opposite also is true. Any woman divorces her husband and marries another commits adultery. Marriage is for life. It is a unity God has created. And not let anyone tamper with that unity. Dismantle it. If anyone does it, God is against that dismantler. Don't ever tell me about the glory of divorce. The blessing of divorce. Tell me about the destruction of it, the pain of it, the agony of it. The economic distress of it. The confusion of it. Endless is the list of such misery that stems from divorce. The wrath of God is against him or her. It may be legal in the eyes of people. We have no fault divorce, isn't it? Just like in the days of Jesus. It's legal. But it is illegal in the eyes of God. It is a violation of the seventh commandment. God never commanded divorce. In fact, he tells us positively in scripture, he hates divorce. There's only one exception. And... Martin Lloyd-Jones says there is one exception. Because there are some people who will not recognize the one exception which Jesus gave in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19. There is one exception. But it is not mandatory, but it is an exception. It is a reason. It is a ground. And what is that exception? Porneia, meaning fornication. It's a difficult word. But the meaning is any kind of sexual sin involving a third party. See, in view of fallen and in view of the fact sin is a reality, Jesus gives one ground for divorce. Fornication. Any sexual sin which involves a third party destroys the unity of two created by God in marriage. This Sexual sin with a third party destroys the one flesh principle which is the heart of the marriage, according to Genesis 1 and 2. And by this ruling, he also abrogates death penalty for fornication. And this rule, he allows a person to divorce 
Because in the Old Testament, you cannot divorce a wife for adultery. Why? The marriage is ended because the woman is killed. But here he gives divorce. So his ruling is lighter. But then there is a heavier aspect of this ruling. He removes every other reason for divorce. Cannot grab a little paper. And give her a little paper in the presence of two witnesses. I divorce you and you are free. If there is fornication, which is inclusive of all sexual sins, then the innocent party may divorce the guilty party and also remarry, but must remarry a Christian, if you are a Christian. No other reason. Suppose you come to me and say, Pastor, you know, I'm a Christian now, I... My husband was a pagan, I was a pagan, but your preaching was so great and I'm a Christian now. But let me tell you, you know, uh, this guy is still the same old pagan. And you know there's no compatibility at all. What do you say? What do you say? Uh, There's no reason for you to divorce that person. Paul Paul gives another reason. It is called Pauline privilege. And the reason is this, that if your wife or husband became Christian and the other spouse remains a pagan, and if he divorces you, and if he leaves you, then you are not bound. Then there is divorce. Then you can also remarry. This ruling is called Pauline privilege. Simply because... The destruction of the unity has occurred when the pagan just walks away. Saying, I refuse to live with you because you are a Christian. The basis of marriage is destroyed. But let's understand, even the sin of fornication, though it is the ground for divorce, you don't have to divorce. There is no mandate. You may divorce. But you don't have to divorce. If the individual repents and asks your forgiveness, then of course you must forgive because you are a Christian. Otherwise your lack of forgiveness may prove that you are not a Christian. Then reconciliation is possible and desirable. Since we all are sinners and we Sin daily and need God's forgiveness daily. So Jesus Christ is not mandating. He is authorizing but not mandating. But suppose, for completion's sake, suppose a Christian husband divorces a Christian wife, not for the reason of adultery, for whatever reason, other than, Then what is the ruling? Both must remain unmarried for the rest of your life. Otherwise, be reconciled. That is the ruling you find in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11. If a believer, for reasons other than fornication, divorces his spouse, then they must remain agamos, unmarried, till death puts them apart. If a Christian divorces for reasons other than fornication and that person marries another, 
that person commits adultery and the one who divorced is also responsible for causing her to commit adultery. Now this answer of Jesus shut them up completely. You notice, they are not there at all. They all disappeared. They were all gone. Weighty biblical argument. They are all gone. But now there is another question. The disciples, they are all shook up. You see, they had this luxury. All those men in those days had this luxury. This Hillel's ruling. That the women lived in fear and trembling every day. Not they wanted to divorce them, but they could always use the stick. And they lived in trembling. And so all of a sudden Jesus took it away from them. And they were all shaken up. And they went into the house and there is the question. Verse 10, the disciples came to him. If this is the situation... Between a husband and a wife. Maybe Peter asked this. He was married. It is better not to marry. Man, what disappointment. What an anticlimax. The whole power is taken away. They are not protesting it. They said, Jesus, you are right. Your teaching is fine. We understand no divorce except for pornea. But the disciples were shocked by this limitation. They enjoyed the privilege and the power of divorcing wives for any and every reason. They used it as a stick every day. Now they cannot. Because they are disciples, the teachers say. So they concluded, in the Greek it says, there is no advantage in marriage. It is better not to marry. But, Marriage is not for personal advantage. Marriage is not to get something for oneself. Marriage is based on love. It is based on the joy of sacrificing oneself for the benefit of the other. Who told you marriage was for your personal advantage, Peter? Matthew, marriage is based on the relationship of Christ and the church. Christ shows us what it means to love. He gave himself for us on the cross. It was not for his personal advantage. So there is the question of the disciples and listen to the answer of Jesus. We don't know. The answer of Jesus refers to what he was teaching or this word that disciples said it is better not to marry. We don't know that. It is not very clear. But Jesus says everybody cannot accept the word of Jesus on marriage. Or everybody cannot accept your answer that it is better not to marry. This word can be received only by those to whom God's grace is given to live in a state of marriage or in a state of celibacy. The normal state is what? It's marriage. But marriage requires the gift of grace for marriage which God gives. You read that in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7. Those who have this grace can marry and stay married for life 
as they live by the grace of God. Now, if you want to be a celibate, that is an exceptional state, not a holier state than marriage, but it is exceptional. So there is also the state of singleness or celibacy. Jesus lived that life. Paul and others practiced this. It is not a holier state than marriage. Those who are called to live a single life will have been given the gift necessary for living that celibate single life. Every Jew was required to marry by the age of 20. Unless someone wanted to live a celibate life for the duty of studying the scriptures. And Jesus, of course, devoted his life for the word of God. So even today, some are called to devote themselves fully for the interest of the kingdom of God. And they live a celibate life without marriage. But they will be given the grace for single state. And let me tell you, they will live a fulfilled life as they serve God. In his presence, what? There is fullness of joy. You know, a young man, a theologian by name, Origen. And he read this verse about castrating. Some are eunuchs for the kingdom of God's sake. You know what he did as a young man? He castrated himself. He literally believed that this is what he should do. Later on, he confessed that uh, that was an error. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, let me tell you, God never divorces. He never divorces. We begin to think that, that God is like us. Love me, love me not. Love me, love me not. God's love toward us is everlasting. The word that is used in the Hebrew is chesed, loving kindness, which means everlasting, loyal, covenant love that will never come to an end. Divorce is from sin. It never came from God. God's love is loyal love. It is a covenant love. He loved us when we were yet sinners, wicked enemies, ungodly. He died for us when we were in the wretched condition. If so, how much more he will continue to love us. Now we have been made children of God. And therefore, how can a Christian ever divorce his wife when he is enjoying the everlasting and unfailing love of God. Look at the cross. There you see God's unfailing, everlasting, loyal covenant love. He died for us and he lives for us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. You read the entire book of Hosea and the theme of that book is God's love shall never come to an end irrespective of all the sins Hosea's wife did. God in love pursued her. Through that book, God is teaching us this is the way God loves the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up to her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing her with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Yes, We know yet the church sins, but Christ forgives us and cleanses us. 
as we repent. Isn't that true? We do that every day. Even so, as Christians, let us love our spouses as Christ loves us and forgives us. Live in the love of God. Live in the fear of God. And your marriage will be flooded with the unquenchable love of God. Let not the enemy separate you by the poison of self-centeredness. This argument of the disciple, if this is so, there is no advantage for me. Let us not live for personal advantage. Let us not marry for personal advantage. Let us marry to love, which is God's cure for all loneliness of a man and of a woman. And let me say this, some parents find their loneliness removed by children. That's a no-no. It's a temporary relationship. See, they abandon their wife and they abandon their husband. They begin to love the children and receive fulfillment from them. That is a biblical no-no. Your loneliness is to be removed by the companion that God has given you. And those who are called to a single life live in love of your God and abound in his service. He will give you grace to live a single life. And let me tell you, if you have never trusted in Christ, you are incapable of loving your spouse unselfishly. It is absolutely incapable. Why? Because this love is a gift from God. And only Christians are given this love. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And so I counsel you, if you are not a Christian, to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ who died in your place and your life will be flooded with the love of God. And the first thing you will do is you will love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And the second thing you will do is you will love your neighbor as yourself. Your spouse as yourself. And the third thing you will do it, you will even love your enemy and pray for them. Let me give you a summary that Professor Adams gives in his book about marriage. Marriage is a divinely ordained institution. Marriage is the first and most fundamental institution. Marriage is covenantal and binding. Marriage is a covenant of companionship. Marriage is the place for true intimacy. Marriage is to conform to the model of Christ and his church. What about divorce? There is a summary here. Divorce always stems from sin. It is not necessarily sinful, especially the innocent party. It always breaks a marriage. It is never necessary among believers. Think about that. It is legitimate on the grounds of sexual sin. It is legitimate when an unbeliever wishes to divorce a believer. And finally, divorce is forgivable even when it is sinful. Heavenly Father, we pray, help us, O Lord, to obey the Spirit of God by obeying the Word of God, which we know what the Word is telling us. Help us to prove ourselves.
to be sons of God. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace Valley Christian Center is committed to the unchanging truths of the Holy Scriptures. We have been proclaiming the whole counsel of God since 1974 through our weekly worship services, our website resources, and our publishing ministry. For more information about our church, to find more edifying sermons, or to order books by the Rev. P.G. Matthew, please visit our website at gracevalley.org.